Greetings once again, dear listeners, and thank you for joining us here at the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy, your host for the remainder of this hour, and you are listening to Datum Line. Today's message is uh, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24. In our previous Datum Line broadcast entitled Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 23, we concluded our review of the congressional debates of 1861 with respect to United States notes or Lincoln greenbacks, a popular nickname indicating their color. Of particular concern to greenback opponents was the added legislative provision called legal tender, by which free Americans would be compelled, for the first time since the Constitution was ratified, to accept bills of credit. In the absence of a wartime emergency, no one would have dared to suggest such a law. But for those who profit from altering our national way of life, war has proven to be the most powerful catalyst to achieve their ends. This portion of our current economic series occupied ten complete broadcasts, beginning at Part 14, and could have been easily expanded in consideration of the significant contribution made by Mr. Lincoln's administration in the furtherance of what has become a socialist, centrally planned economy regulated by a central bank called the Federal Reserve. As mentioned in the previous message, Federal Reserve critics of a Marxist persuasion, and there are lots of them, invariably point to unlawful, irredeemable United States notes first issued under President Lincoln as the surefire remedy to America's present economic maladies. Their contempt for lawful money, gold and silver, is as quickly discerned as their love for credit, with many of them driven to this perspective by fallacious myths propagated by their adversaries of economic reform, often referred to as gold bugs. By arguing for and against the absurdity of gold-backed money, there being no such thing, based upon a gold standard most of them cannot define, and for which the Constitution makes no provision, both sides engage in fruitless shadow boxing over pure, nonsensical wind. This, as explained throughout these broadcasts, is attributable to the use of inaccurate economic definitions, or no definitions at all, which renders the search for truth through clear and sensible communication impossible. In order to demonstrate the interrelated nature of prevalent but erroneous myths, and the spurious vocabulary upon which they're built, we opened the series by examining the gold standard, as it's so often called by almost everyone who's for, against, or indifferent to it. For example, in No More National Debt, published by Bill Still in 2011, at page 20, quote, we were on the gold standard during the Great Depression of the 1930s, and quote with no less than three different kinds of gold standard during the 20th century, a gold coin standard, a gold bullion standard, and a gold exchange standard. Wouldn't it be incorrect to speak of it as a singular, the, gold standard? Certainly. Next, we discovered multiple standards within each of those three major categories, which further complicated the picture. <clears throat> 
add to this the fact that state chartered banks of the 19th century typically operated on a 25% gold and silver reserve, meaning that up to 75% of their notes were backed by nothing. So what kind of a standard was that? It was a bank-created hot air standard. Now this was followed, says Black's Law Dictionary, by the gold standard from 1900 to 1934. And then a central bank, the Federal Reserve System, created in 1913 to oversee and regulate a newly perfected system of bank fraud under this so-called gold standard. The Federal Reserve opened in 1914 with a mere 40% gold reserve, even though 100% of their notes claimed to be redeemable. Now, that meant that 60 percent, or up to 60% of those notes, had no gold behind them. But why stop there? In 1934, Congress decreed that our grandparents could no longer retrieve their gold from the bank, nor could they keep the gold coins they had elsewhere. In the process of stealing that gold, the Federal Reserve, with congressional help, also removed gold certificates from circulation which helped to erase the public's collective memory of gold being used as money. That gold, by the way, was the property of our ancestors, and not Congress. Thus ended a brief 40% gold coin standard, as Americans were quickly herded into a 40% gold bullion standard. Gold would now back the notes, but you couldn't have the gold. But why stop there? In 1945, only 11 years later, Congress lowered the reserve requirement from 40 to 25 percent. This was a 25 percent gold bullion standard, where up to 75 percent of the Federal Reserve notes were issued in excess of the gold on deposit. These were very profitable notes. Wouldn't you like to write $100 checks on a $25 balance and do it legally? But why should the Central Planning Committee stop there? In 1965, they confiscated our silver coins and pulled the silver certificates out of circulation, which helped to erase America's collective memory of silver being used as money. But why stop there? Man's civil law is all about evolutionary revisionism, not stability. So in 1968, the gold reserve was dropped to zero. It doesn't get much better than that for Congress and the Fed, that is who could now steal our goods and services using any and all of their notes or checks swappable for those worthless notes. This was the new age of credit-induced debt slavery under an even more absurd gold exchange standard that evolved out of the Bretton Woods Agreement in New Hampshire back in 1944. We can hardly blame the general public for being confused about all this flim-flam. But who's the author of the confusion? Congress and the bankers with whom they partner in the confidence game called credit. So you can probably understand why I'm suspicious about the gold standard. People who parrot the phrase and those who insist that Congress is going to solve our economic dilemma. The Constitution told us in so many words that government could not be trusted with this ennobling power to steal for the benefit of all mankind, you understand. But Congress eventually found a way around that prohibition by licensing a private cartel to do the stealing for them and to share in the proceeds.
quite populists think that Congress would ever repent of their sinful ways, I don't know. But they do. Following a century of national economic suicide under the current regime, Americans are being primed for another economic revolution by Marxist revolutionaries like Bill Still, Steve Zarlinga, Ellen Brown, writers at American Free Press, and others, all of them demanding that the Federal Reserve be nationalized by Congress so we can be more easily merged into a global dictatorship of the banking elite with all the other communist countries that issue so-called interest-free, debt-free money. Like the League of Nations, which preceded the United Nations in an attempt at global governance, the Bretton Woods Agreement of 1944 was an early effort to create a global central bank. It was called the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, under an even more insidious gold exchange standard, which came out of Bretton Woods. Out of this and later schemes, we see the one-world socialist economy emerging triumphant, over individual sovereign nations. Banker-friendly myths built upon a vocabulary of nonsense is the chief means by which this is being accomplished. Today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24. You are listening to Datum Line, and I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. segment of Datum Line, today's message, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24, if you're joining us at this juncture. You know, nowhere in the Constitution was America put on any kind of a gold standard. All public offices were put on a monetary system of gold and silver coin, with copper being used as token money. No notes, no certificates, not even 100% redeemable. Any so-called gold coin standard presumes that circulating notes or certificates exist in some ratio to gold coin. A 40% reserve ratio meant that two and a half times more IOUs could be issued than there was gold to redeem them. That's quite a standard, huh? A 25% reserve ratio, which was established in 1945, was believed sufficient to inspire faith in three times as many IOUs as there was gold. And in 1945, that gold wouldn't even repurchase the notes. Reserve ratios were determined by the public's confidence in the system, or, to say it more accurately, their ignorance about the criminal confidence game. By sowing abundant confusion, Congress and the bankers eroded public interest in a subject that affects everyone, while being understood by virtually no one. The gold standard was one of many confusing intermediate steps in the Hegelian dialectic process, designed to draw us into the credit system in its present evolutionary form. 
but the Constitution never authorized a gold standard of any kind, nor does the Bible. Turning to the scriptures, we read that the laborer is worthy of his hire. So said the Lord Jesus Christ. We read it in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. His sentiments repeated almost verbatim in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 18 by the Apostle Paul, who rephrased and expanded those sentiments elsewhere when he asked, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Sayeth I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses. Now we'd have to turn to Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4, for example, to see this, but he quotes it. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or say he, saith he it for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. This taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 through 10. Well, what does this all have to do with a gold standard and so forth? Well, Paul understood that the laborer's hope had always been set on being paid for his labor. And payment or delivery can only come in the form of tangible goods and services or in money, such as tangible gold and silver. Gold and silver that the first party labored to obtain, not with instruments of faith in bankers or congressmen, who get those credit instruments for absolutely nothing, and thus get our wealth for absolutely nothing. Why is this so incredibly difficult for populists to understand? From the gold standard myth, we move to the Truth in Money book by Theodore Thorne and Mr. Richard Warner in part two to part ten of this series because they had put forth so many banker-friendly myths in opposition to the gold standard and so-called gold-backed money, there being no such thing. Well, while we're on this subject, and for the benefit of new listeners, we might as well address this universally accepted myth once again. There's no such thing as gold-backed money. Gold and silver were declared by law to be as money, those are the words, as money, at Section 11 of the original Coinage Act, which established the first mint in Philadelphia and was enacted on April 2, 1792, to implement the monetary provisions of the United States Constitution. Many years later, Congress confirmed at Title 12, United States Code, Section 152, that, quote, the terms lawful money or lawful money of the United States shall be construed to mean gold or silver coin of the United States, end quote. Let's now use a little reasoning. If gold and silver coins were used as money, what on earth could you possibly back them with? Money is not backed by anything. It's the promise to pay money that must be backed by the money, which was gold and silver. When those coins were stashed in a treasury or bank vault, however, the circulating notes which represented them 
were being used as if they were the money. They were being used as substitutes for money. But a promise to pay money was never the money. Just because an IOU for money can produce some of the outward effects of money does not make intangible credit a synonym for substantive money. Money is anything used as a medium of exchange and therefore must exist somewhere in direct proportion to the unit of measure, we use dollar as a unit of measure in the decimal system, which expresses the quantity of that money. So here's my nagging reward offer, which my regular listeners are accustomed to hearing every once in a while. Simply identify the substance or thing that we use as money and that government collects, spends, or wastes, and that banks pretend to lend. This monetary substance or thing being measured in the decimal system called dollars, you understand. And I will send you 100 pounds of it absolutely free. Now, as we move forward in this series of messages, it was decided to include a few more believers in non-redeemable greenbacks and whose beliefs are also built upon fanciful myths. Dr. Charles Norburn was next in line with his book, Honest Money, the United States Note, published in 1983. Well, the title of his book is a colossal myth all by itself, as well as the nonsensical premise from which he commences his argument, while carefully avoiding the definition of a note. As used in the realm of economics and finance, a note is a promise to pay money and must meet specific legal criteria by stating who will pay what, being a sum of substantive money, to whom or to the bearer at a specified time or on demand. Myopic myth-believers ignore this definition because of their fixation on the fact that goods and services can be obtained without money by using credit, like an IOU, or a dishonored credit device, like a rubber check. Of course, you can also obtain lots of nifty merchandise with a pump shotgun, but that doesn't constitute payment either, nor would anyone dare to suggest that the shotgun was used as money. Now, our regular listeners have probably come to recognize legal tender for what it really is, legalized plunder, or simply a veiled shotgun. In Part 12, we added another myth-believer by the name of Bill Still, whose book of prolific mythology, entitled No More National Debt, published in 2011, authoritatively reiterates the folly of Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner, their mentor, Peter Cook, and Dr. Charles Norburn. We then added attorney Ellen Brown to the list since her book, The Web of Debt, published in 2007 and revised in 2008, gives credence to the same Greenback mythology of other Marxist reformers. With so many spokesmen praising Lincoln's Greenbacks, as if they were the actual money, it was imperative that we examine the legal tender debates in Congress, which generated those IOUs. Well, here's the music. This is our next break, and you are listening to Datamon. Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24. 
In today's message, and for the benefit of new listeners, we'll review some of these economic myths and the convoluted vocabulary relied upon to sustain those myths. And for a good example, we're going to turn to a book entitled No More National Debt, published in 2011. The author, Bill Still. We'll turn to page 19. We have a subtitle. Quote, Misconception number three, he says. Gold-backed money. Well, that's right. It is, it is a misconception because there's no such thing. But he believes that there definitely is such a thing, but that it doesn't work. Well, that's the subtitle. And what do we learn from this subtitle? We learn that the author, indeed most people, cannot differentiate between money and a mere promise to pay it, or even a dishonored note, such as an abandoned tender like post-1963 Federal Reserve notes and the United States notes, that had the promise to pay money deleted from the note, at which point they were no longer notes by definition, even though they still carry that appellation. You know what? Next to the Bible, a good English dictionary is the most important but ignored book in America. And what were the consequences of failing to discern the difference between money and notes, IOUs, or certificates? Well, those possessing the monopoly to issue notes in excess of the money they promised to pay, they used those notes to confiscate everybody else's money thus securing an absolute monopoly over the entire economy and make everyone totally dependent on their spurious credit, which they get for nothing. The author begins this subsection with these words, quote, Gold is not the answer. Gold is the problem, end quote. He errs grievously. The problem was not gold, nor was it silver, copper, fruits and vegetables, fish, meat, grains, or lumber. The problem was and is intangible credit with which bankers and their partners in government steal your tangible wealth. That's why Bill Still would never suggest letting me do what he wants Congress to do, which is to create imaginary money out of nothing. It's against the law. Why? because stealing is and ought to be against the law. Next sentence. We're still on page 19. Quote, Invest in gold all you want, but don't tie your national money to it. End quote. Well, repeat this myth enough times, and people will begin to believe it, but money was never tied to gold. Instruments of debt, however, were tied to gold. A promise to pay gold, which was a promise to pay money, is an evidence of debt, a sum of money due or owing. In other words, a sum of money, a sum of gold that was due or owing. Quoting State versus Doucet, a sum of money due or owing. Debt is a correlative of credit. And credit is a privilege granted by one party, which who allows another party to incur debt and defer payment. Federal Reserve notes, United States notes, gold and silver certificates were used to defer payment or delivery of the gold and silver that they promised to pay later. They all were debt or credit instruments. They're co-relatives. They were not money. 
Chapter 5 of Mr. Still's book has a subtitle, or begins with a title, I should say, Problems with and the Fed. Now, that's a book title by Congressman Ron Paul, so he's going to critique Ron Paul's book. And this begins on page 23 of No More National Debt with a critique of Congressman Ron Paul, who on page 24 of this book is said to be for sound money. Bill says that he's for sound money, too. But he says that that doesn't have to be gold or silver. Well, that's true, it doesn't. But it has to be something. Sound money, he says, really means that the quantity is controlled by the government in the public interest. The quantity is controlled by the government in the public interest. That's what sound money is. The quantity of what? Well, he doesn't say. But that's not important, according to him. And he makes this quite clear. He goes on, quote, So it's not what backs our money. Another erroneous statement. There's so many of them in this book that it's incredible. He says it's not what backs our money that is important. It's who controls its quantity. Let's step back from this statement and take a deep breath. Bill is persuaded, like most people, that money was backed by gold. And that gold was really not the money. But rather, gold notes or certificates were the money. Perhaps because he believes, as so many people seem to, that whatever passes from hand to hand is somehow money. Even if it only promises to pay the money, at best, or is simply a bogus note with numbers on it. This kind of muddled thinking by an alleged anti-banker worked wonders on behalf of the confiscatory credit for money swap that was orchestrated by those bankers. Out with the bogus notes, in with the people's gold and silver. It's all the same, right? In fact, folks like Bill still believe worthless credit is far better than gold or silver. Don't believe me? Stick around. As Dave Wilber puts it, fool's gold is green. And when you consider the materialistic money orientation of most Americans, our level of ignorance about basic economics is appalling. But again, Bill and most of his opponents argue heatedly for and against backing money with gold. When the fact is, gold and silver were, by law, declared to be the money, which was never backed by anything. As to what we should use as money, take another deep breath and look at Bill Still's book at page 31, where he says, quote, Ideally, money should be valueless, that means worthless, and ubiquitous. Oh, that's a nice word. That means omnipresent. It means everywhere. In the words of John Adams, who said of the worthless colonial script of his day, it was as plenteous as oak leaves. That's ubiquitous, okay? And it was also valueless. Now, the Federal Reserve is working hard to make this economic dream come true. Their credit devices are now worth approximately 3% of their original value in 1914. How long before they become totally valueless and therefore valuable as money, according to Bill Still. Voltaire prophesied over two centuries ago that, quote, all paper money reaches its ultimate value, zero, end quote. 
So the future for Federal Reserve notes begins when they become totally worthless, which is good to know, because I was planning to use them for kindling. But that would have been a stupid mistake, right? And for those of you who are unemployed or would just like to move up in the world, there may be a future for you in the field of credit. But if you run into any snags, just tell the judge about America's need for monetary reform and that money should be valueless and ubiquitous, that a populist school of economic reform told you how worthless, irredeemable notes are actually money, and that you've been helping the Federal Reserve kickstart our sagging economy by writing lots of worthless checks as another form of valueless and ubiquitous money. You should be able to enlist a Harvard University-trained lawyer who is intelligent enough to understand your brilliant argument. Bill still found a smart Harvard professor in Robert G. Nadelson, who says that what our constitutional forefathers really meant by the phrase to coin money, found in Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 5 of the Constitution, what that really meant was to coin paper, not gold and silver. Bill still actually gives space to this in his book, and we addressed this nonsense in a previous message in this series. Next on the list of amazing economic revelations is that the only important consideration is not what we use as money, but who gets to control it, whatever it is supposed to be. Unlike agriculture, where what you grow is probably as important as how much of it is grown, and unlike manufacturing, where what you build is equally important as how much of it you manufacture, a national economic system functions best when we use nothing as money and there's lots of it to go around. Does that make sense to you? If not, then you might find a biblical approach to economics far more refreshing and much simpler, too. So under the Bill Still philosophy of monetary reform, who gets to control this elusive stuff he calls money? Well, we'll find that out on the other side of this break. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. This is Datum Line. segment of today's installment of Datamline, Economic Myths and the Science of Deceit, Part 24. On the other side of the break, we had commenced a little bit of a discussion of a book published in 2011 by Bill Still. It's called No More National Debt. And uh, in this book, he tells us who gets to control this elusive stuff that he calls money, which in fact is nothing more than uh, dishonored credit. He begins by telling us that this is part of his solution. We find this on the p bottom of page 29, which he says is, quote, simple and twofold. Turning to page 30, he continues, United States money in the form of United States notes. Well, money and notes aren't the same thing, but he says they are. But uh, he, has his own, he has his own dictionary. 
In fact, that's one of the things you notice about populists in particular, is that they have their own dictionary. They won't tell you where they find it, and they won't be able to quote from it, but they have their own dictionary of definitions. He says, United States money in the form of United States notes should be created by the state, end quote. Now, that's interesting wording. He may have gotten some of that inspirational wording from the fifth plank of the Communist Manifesto. You remember the fifth plank? Quote, centralization of credit, not money, centralization of credit in the hands of the state by means of a national bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly, end quote. This means Congress, who, Mr. Still says, means us. Now, Congress and us are not synonymous either, which is why Congress does what it wants, despite what we say. In fact, we are not even in agreement, all of us. Then, with respect to Congress, he says that we, quote, have to control it. Well, if Congress were us, then we'd only have to control ourselves, which means self-control. Well, we're not very good at that either. And we certainly can't control Congress. At least we don't seem to. But on page 31, he goes on. He says, quote, Congress is all we've got. That's a faulty premise, because we have more than Congress. Some would say that we have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Bible. We have the standards of conduct to know what is right and what is wrong. Some would say we have the Constitution. We have other things besides Congress. We also have ourselves. He says, if you don't trust yourself to control the most important power of a sovereign, then whom will you trust? End quote. So, you see, like Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner in their Truth and Money book that we reviewed earlier, Bill ascribes to Congress the status of a sovereign over our national affairs, which is another myth that we dealt with earlier in this series. But for now, what does the word sovereign mean? And can the public lawfully control a sovereign in its exercise of sovereign power? Well, the word sovereign. We're going to go to the Webster's New World Dictionary of 1966, but you could pick any flavor you want. Uh, most dictionaries are going to tell you pretty much the same. Sovereign. Definition number one. Above or superior to all others. Hmm. How are you going to control somebody who's superior to you? Chief. Greatest. Supreme. That's definition number one. Definition number two, supreme in power, rank, or authority. Definition number three, of or holding the position of ruler, royal, or sovereign. Definition number four, independent of all others as a sovereign state. Well, wow, how would you control someone who is independent of you? See, regular listeners may remember that Mr. Thorne and Mr. Warner listed in the Truth and Money book 18 foundation stones of their proposed Treasury credit money system, in which they spoke of the federal government as being sovereign in no less than four of those 18 foundation stones. Congress was the monetary authority in no less than seven out of those 18, and that as the monetary authority, it had the exclusive power to create and destroy money. Those were their words. Well, they do this now. They destroy what you call money, or most people call money. Now, they destroy its value. They do that through inflation. Okay? It would be nice if you had a gold coin in your pocket, and you didn't have a credit system to compete with it, 
it would be very hard for them to destroy your gold coin or your silver coin and the value of it. On page 154 of Bill Still's book, No More National Debt, he quotes and wholeheartedly endorses a statement made by President James Garfield, who was later assassinated, perhaps because of the political and economic understanding, revealed in this quotation, which I, too, endorse wholeheartedly. He said, quote, Whoever, that would include Congress, whoever controls the volume, that's the quantity, of money in any country is absolute master of all industry and commerce, end quote. Well, if you, like Bill Still, believe that Congress is sovereign, then it stands to reason that Congress should be the absolute master of all industry and commerce. If, on the other hand, Congress, as our agent, was made subservient to we the people, we being the principal, then pursuant to the rules governing principles and agent, Congress is servant of the people, and as such cannot lawfully exercise absolute mastery over us or our free enterprise economy. Of course, a free enterprise economy doesn't exist any longer. That's another myth, and we've addressed that in the past. Now, prior to Juliet versus Greenman, Supreme Court case decided in 1884, the courts in America consistently held that with respect to external or foreign affairs, the federal government exercised the power of a sovereign. With respect to domestic and internal affairs, however, it was not sovereign, having derived its just powers from the people who existed prior to that federal government and delegated certain of their powers to said federal government, they being the source of its power, reserving to themselves all other powers not expressly delegated to the federal government. Do you understand that, populace? Juilliard reversed almost 100 years of judicial history and interpretation citing the sovereign power of a foreign government as its authority. Quoting Pieces of Eight in two volumes, in 1,700 pages, Edwin Vieira states on page 659, quote, going on about sovereign monetary powers, Justice Gray, he's the one who delivered the majority opinion in Juilliard, then referred to an important modern case, he called it, decided in England, upholding the exclusive power of the Emperor of Austria, as king of Hungary, to emit legal tender notes. End quote. This is from footnote number 2,649, citing Juliet versus Greenman at 110 United States Supreme Court Report at page 447. Now, that's quite an interesting side note, but totally irrelevant to Congress, which is governed not by the edicts of an Austrian emperor and king of Hungary, but by the Constitution. That's the kind of reasoning behind the Juliet decision in its efforts to play God by rewriting a 97-year-old document, the Constitution, to which Congress took a solemn oath of allegiance. Juilliard, according to Bill Still, is, quote, the definitive ruling, end quote, his words, on page 32, on what he calls paper money, a phrase nowhere found in the Constitution or, to the best of my knowledge, any federal statute. On page 25, no more national debt, we encounter these words as a subtitle, When Gold is Money. I have no problem with the language used in the subtitle or in the first half of the first sentence, where he says, history has shown time and time again that when gold is money, dot, dot, dot. But he says that hasn't fixed the debt problem. Well, if gold was money, it would fix the debt problem, or it could. He reverses himself in the second, third, and fourth sentences by declaring that we were, sentence number two, 
on a gold-backed system just before the American Revolution. Third sentence, during the 30-year-long post-Civil War Depression, we were on a gold-backed system. And we were on a gold-backed system, he says in the fourth sentence, during the crash of 1929. Well, which was it, Bill? Were these the times when gold was money? Or were these the times when something else was being used as a substitute for gold, something which circulated in greater quantity than the gold on deposit, so that when those notes came home to roost because of public suspicion about possible bank fraud, the bankers had to close their doors to avoid a face-off with an angry mob? On page 19, you remember, Bill said, gold is not the answer. Gold is the problem. That's a ridiculous conclusion. Gold and silver were the only litmus test, the only viable standard by which to ascertain bank fraud. If there are more outstanding IOUs than there is gold or silver to redeem them, the excess IOUs are fraudulent and the bankers need to be punished. But no, the economic test equipment itself, the gold and the silver, is the problem, according to Bill, not the fraudulent banknotes. Well, we've used up our time. This was Bottom Line. I'm Bruce G. McCarthy. Have a good day. Do you begin to smell some funky little things going on? Let me share this story with you. It's not so much a story, it's something I wrote years ago. Read your history, people. Stock markets collapse on Friday. Bank seizures, closures, holidays take place after business hours on Friday. Do currencies or governments also collapse on Friday? <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. Will the end come on this Friday, or will the inevitable collapse hold off for a while? The next round of the worst financial crisis in a hundred years is coming, people, and the government is out to make you and I pay for it. And will your savings survive a global banking wipeout? What happens when the U.S. sees hyperinflation? What if taxes soar not only for the rich? Can you survive the stock market tanks? Well, between a stock market wipeout, waves of bank failures, soaring government spending that will lead to hyperinflation and the destruction of the dollar's value, isn't it time that you prepare for the uncertainty which lies ahead? Protect your money now or forever kiss it goodbye. My friends, I offer you over six decades experience of hard asset ownership and knowledge. And I'm prepared to handle the smallest detail in the balanced protection of your portfolio. For as the future of uncertainty continues to blanket this nation of ours, I believe that I can offer you the privacy, safety, security, and possibly some profitability which you deserve. And so I invite you to visit SierraMondrePreciousMetals.com for further information regarding protecting your wealth. Or call me, Jeffrey Bennett, at 602-799-8214. Or by email at KettleMoraineLTD at Cox.net for a private consultation. Once again, our phone number 602-799-8214. It's almost Friday. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? 
For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste by going to rbnhemppaste.com. That's rbnhemppaste.com. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pastures meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your delight. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. Tahibo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti-infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com. Or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113, drinksupertea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, in 
trying so many different coffees that were so good. And uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee. So I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new Ease-Off Drop and Lift? What in the world is an Ease-Off Drop and Lift? Our Ease-Off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the Ease-Off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my Ease-Off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff, LLC, 417-932-6419. Homeowners, are you in foreclosure, expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit, or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction? A huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Call toll-free 1-855-2-KEEP-IT. That's 1-855-2-KEEP-IT today. Do you or someone you know suffer from chest pain, blood pressure, cholesterol, or irregular heartbeat? Are you looking for a more natural solution to overcome these health challenges? 
You hear the ads all the time. If this stuff's so good, why doesn't my doctor prescribe it? That's easy. Doctors are not trained in natural medicine. Extendivite Heart Tonic does want you to be as healthy as you can be, and it really works. Take Extendivite for six months and your doctor will say, I don't know what you're doing, but don't stop. It's working for you. Get the dependability of Extendivite. Just see how you feel in six months. A two-month supply of either capsules or liquid is only $69.95 plus shipping and handling. Call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendo Hello, hello, hello from beautiful Colorado. My name is Samuel Jungke, and I am currently the lead Shilajee hunter and master herbalist for Colorado Shilajee Company. In this video series, I will be discussing what we believe is the greatest of all adaptogenic superfoods and the single greatest natural healing remedy gifted to us by Mother Earth. I think you too will become as excited by this incredible substance called Shilaji as we were and are after our discovery of this amazing gift right here in beautiful, colorful Colorado. You may already know Shilaji by other names. Shilajit, Momio, Momi, Mami, Mineral Pitch, Asphaltum, and others. Shilaji literally translates to destroyer of weakness and conqueror of mountains. Shilaji has been used for thousands of years and is considered as the highest valued cure-all of any earthly substance. Look for the gold mountain and medical symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. The secret to aging like fine wine is in the vines. Syrah grape seeds and skins contain high levels of flavonoids and resveratrol. Fermentation breaks these organic compounds down into smaller molecules, penetrating these therapeutic ingredients deeper into the skin, delivering faster and more effective results. Our handmade fermented skincare products are formulated with all natural ingredients and do not contain any phthalates or parabens. Similar products can cost as much as $180. At Natural Earth Medicine, we source our ingredients from local Arizona vineyards and cold process our oils to ensure that our customers receive the highest quality product in its purest form. Learn more at our website and try our fermented skincare products today. Visit naturalearthmedicine.com. That's naturalearthmedicine.com. Kilad Atzman says the essence of Jewish power is the ability to prevent the discussion of Jewish power. Jewish power requires anybody in politics to understand it and know about it, but never talk about it. My awakening really sums up with the very best evidence, the facts and the truth about race, and the fact that race drives history, and the truth about the Jewish question. The younger you get, the greater the percentage of people who identify as alphabet soup, you know, LGBTQ, RS. This woman, she's like, oh yeah, I identify as a koala two years ago. And I'm like, what? A koala? What? Maybe if it was quickie koala, that might be cool, but otherwise, no. How about an inward pass? Have you ever received an inward pass from any of your black friends? Biden invited a drag queen to come for the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act. It's an Respect for Anal Sex Act. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just call it like it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. Consider this. Dead people see only what they want to see. And frankly, most of us are still dead. 
Let me give you the lessons of gold and five easy lessons. Number one, don't buy it because you need to make money. You buy gold because you need to protect the money you already have. Don't ever look at the price as a barrier. Look at it as an incentive. Number three, don't buy its paper pretenders. We talked about that a lot. Buy gold. Buy the real thing in the form of coins and bullion. Fourth, don't fall prey to glitzy television or Facebook ads. Do your due diligence instead. And that's what I try to provide you with and have for 26 and a half years on the air and 30 years in this profession. Fifth, don't allow naysayers to divert your interest. Allow yourself the right to protect your interests as you see fit. Jeff Bennett here. And one of the ways you can do that is to contact Kettle Moraine Limited. Contact me by calling or texting me at 602-799-8214. 602-799-8214. You can also email me at kettlemoraineltd at cox.net. Let me help you protect your wealth and your family today. Once again, call or text us at 602 799 8214, or visit our website, Sierra Madre Precious Metals.com. Be glad to help you out. Be glad to answer your questions. That's what we're here for. No pressure, just good, hard, common sense. The decision then becomes up to you. I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pastures meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended.